0: listening to the impact interviews from the Martin Agency. Join us as we explore fresh ways to break through the noise, impact culture, and shape the future of advertising. On today's episode, Martin's chief growth officer, Michael Chapman, hosts a digital dialogue with renowned mountain climber, filmmaker, National Geographic photographer, and activist Jake Norton. Having summited mountains on all five continents, Jake knows a thing or two about perseverance at high altitudes.
1: Today, we're talking to Jake Norton. You know, if you go read about Jake, you will see that he is a mountain climber, an author, a filmmaker, an environmentalist, a UN ambassador, a guide. Um, And I can tell you after just hearing um, an hour of him speaking um, about his experiences, that he is truly an an inspiration. And so first, I just wanted to say, Jake, thank you so much for for talking to the agency, because it was... um, it really was, as Kristen said, like going to church. I feel re- renewed and, and, and invigorated.
2: Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, I, for me, it's such an honor. You know, climbing mountains is really, you know, there, there's a, a great book about climbing called "Conquistadors Useless," um, which is a very title. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of the more selfish, self-absorbed endeavors. And so, for me to have the opportunity to take something that selfish and hopefully turn it around and use stories to illustrate the challenges we all face and and share it and make it a little less self selfish is uh is such an honor to me so thanks to you all for the
1: opportunity you know one of the things that you you talked about that struck me the most was um the power of why Right as a real you know talking about this self it's funny that you got I felt your your series of contradictions by the way, because <laughs> which is awesome because you of say like hey it's a selfish, self selfish act, but then it felt like when you talked about if you can understand your why as a person, as a climber, as an industry, as a business, you can achieve much more, and it doesn 't quite feel as selfish because you you sort of know something much bigger than yourself and why you're doing it, so can you talk a little bit about? Um, the power of why and, and how it's driven you and everything you've done? You know, why,
2: I think it had always been there in the back of my head for a long time as a climber, but it wasn't until I read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, that I that I kind of really started taking it more seriously and trying to systematize, isn't the right word, but but really ask myself, why, why was I climbing? Why am I doing these things? And, and I think, before I really knew to ask the question, that influenced for me the the reasoning behind becoming a guide versus just a climber um and not not to poo-poo climbing. That's great if if that works for people. For me though, working with clients to, you know, help them up to to attain their dreams, to take Kristen and her son Matt up Kilimanjaro, um, even though that that you know maybe wasn't all that difficult for me personally. It, I love that opportunity to, to help other people attain their dreams and, it, and it, uh, it gives me a lot more richness of experience. And, and uh, that to me is, is the beauty of understanding why we're doing things because it, it takes your own personal interest out of the equation and you're, you're fighting for lack of a better term, fighting for something beyond you and, and to me, especially in a high-risk environment like the mountains, it, it enables or forces you to make much better decisions. Um, I, I really believe that a lot of the people who die on Mount Everest die because they don't understand why they're climbing. They, their why is to reach the summit. And again, in the words of Simon Sinek, the, the summit is a product of our efforts. It's not, not why we're doing it. A paycheck is a product. It's not not why we're doing it and for me it all all really came to a head actually in 2009 my what was that my sixth everest expedition and um i left my daughter was two and a half years old my wife was pregnant with our second child i went off to everest and i remember my daughter lila asking me as i left you know in a little two and a half year old girl's voice saying daddy why do you have to go and i didn't really have an answer but I figured I've got you know eight weeks. I'll figure it out. I'll have an answer. And seventy-five days later, I was on the summit and pulled out a picture of her and of my wife. And that question came back to me, and and I realized, gosh, I, I still don't know why. You know, I'm here to shoot photos. I'm making a paycheck, but that wasn't enough. And that that really caused me to reflect a lot more on what I was doing, and again, why I was doing it, and and readjust a lot of the things in my climbing career so that when I left for long periods of time, I could come back and tell my wife and kids a good reason why I, I had to go off and do it.
1: I'm sure it was tough, but also a great point of, uh, of reflection to sort of figure it out and, um, you know, tr- trying desperately to, to make these grand achievements that you've had relevant to me as well. Uh, you know, I think a workaholic, I mean, you think about this business and in the advertising world in particular, I feel like creative businesses in general have such a drive and it's so easy to keep looking for the next thing and to keep trying to, uh, you know, to you know, hustle is a big word to describe yeah. this industry. Um, and if you don't have a why, you can really get lost in it and you can lose your family and you can lose yourself. And so um, I think it's a great challenge, you know, for all of us to take a step back and um, and think about it yeah I um, agreed you know one thing that that struck me as we were talking about the why it also felt like when you were talking about i think it was your first your your first attempt and you you turned back, which must have been just grueling, and um we talked about um your instinct um and I know you didn't have your why maybe set at that point, you know maybe you were doing it more for a personal challenge, but it feels like when you know your why that sort of thing isn't looked like a failure anymore. I'm sure it was tough at the time, but if you, in retrospect, it feels like, wait a second, I did all the things um, that I set out to do, teamwork, and I overcome fear, and I helped others, and I was selfless. Can you talk a little bit about failure and the lack of failure or the feeling of failure when you have a why?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, I think. You know, actually on that 99 trip, as, as hard as it was, to turn around and knowing that, in many ways, that would at least outwardly be viewed as, oh, you failed because the first question, you know, you get off the plane coming back from Everest, and did you reach the summit? And it's like, you know, I always want to say no, but I, I've got all my fingers and toes, and my heart's still beating. So that—that's success to me. And um, but it—it it, it is really hard, and it—it it took me. It took me quite a while to kind of reconcile that concept of failure, especially in '99, um, with with again that idea of why. Because once, when I looked and reflected back on it, and was honest with myself from the very get-go, the reason we were there, our why in '99 was was not about summiting. That was kind of a, a secondary thought out there in the ether but the why was to tell the story of Mallory and Irvin uh, that mattered to all of us. It mattered and still does a great deal to me. And even though we didn't solve that mystery, we still added a great deal and and had a safe, healthy, productive expedition. So, it, But it really took for me in the depths of, oh, I'm a failure to look back and say, no, you know, that, that wasn't that wasn 't the goal. the summit was not what you were there for, and and you guys we did accomplish the the reason and and so it was a success, but it's so hard in our society that does put the barometer in in weird places for for what success is and and we miss we miss a lot of the richness
1: of the of
2: the journey as a result.
1: I think when we look at potential clients and whatnot, I think we're looking often to find, do they have ambition, a why that is bigger than any given sales objective or revenue or share objective? I mean, all of those things, to your point, are an output. But if the ambition and the desire is something bigger, um, that's when we do our best work. And so it's not easy to find um, those types of people, those types of clients. And that sort of self-assurance you get from that, that, that uh, understanding of a bigger purpose.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine for you creating campaigns and content, that's, yeah, when there's something beyond widget X, Y, or Z that you can dig into that. Yeah. Like you said, that, that brings out the richness and all right, here's, here's a story to tell rather than just a, a sales objective. And Not that those aren't important, but the story I'd imagine too, with with the end consumer too, the story is what people latch on to more than the product. I would think.
1: And I think in just what you were saying, which is, if you were just to stand up there for the past hour and say, "Here was one of my eight times climbing Everest. Here's what I did on this summit. This is what I did here," it would have been really boring, um, to yeah. be honest, and it wouldn't yeah. have been very fulfilling for you. And so, as a consumer of what you said, it was a very involved story. Um, because I think there were places in it where I I could see myself. Speaking of which, so, you know, you have all these great accomplishments, but I think one of the things that got me uh, the most excited, and you actually didn't touch on this much, is is your your expertise at narrative storytelling and being a documentarian. And um, can you talk a little bit about how storytelling plays a role in what you do?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, I mean, story, the reason I got into climbing in the first place was the richness of the historical narrative around it. You know, these characters, be them imperfect people as we all are, They, you know, there was just this richness of the story of Mallory and Irvin, you know, and, and their teammates in the 1920s, sailing across, you know, from London to India, taking a train up through India and then trekking for five weeks across the plateau to get to the mountain and and then walking up it in tweed coats I mean that that to me that's the the beauty of these experiences it's not in the in the heroism it's in in the story in the journey and and I've always loved that about the places I've been fortunate enough to go to and the the mountains I've been able to climb either to the top or not where there is this, you know, if, if you allow yourself again, back to that, that idea of why you're there in the first place, if your why is about the process, about the journey, then you're far more apt to look around the corner and see that little village that everyone else walked by or the old grandmother spinning a prayer wheel or whatever it may be. And these, and and that to me, I'll take that over a summit any day because it's just that richness of experience that connects us to our environments, to our world, to our shared humanity. And and I love digging into that and trying to trying to extract it from the
1: landscape. But then you also have to tell it, right? So there's gotta be power in the telling, or there's gotta be Some sort of value in the telling, and and so where where do you see the value in taking some of these things and exposing them to other people? And and you do a really good job of actually making I think the consumer of your content and uh, certainly me feel like wow, this is more than just a grueling climb. This is an exploration of a rich tapestry of everything that you've been through.
2: Yeah, and I I love the motto that you all have. This idea of fighting invisibility. I mean, I think that's. You know we've got it in in multiple realms, and that's what I love as as a storyteller trying to, you know, take Everest as as an example—the 900-pound gorilla. You know, everyone, the visible part of Everest is you know a bunch of a big mountain, a bunch of trash, and a bunch of dead bodies, and 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 that's the narrative that gets told. That's very visible, but there's this whole invisible side of of the beauty of the selflessness of people you know rescuing one another and helping one another of of the sherpa and the other nepali tribes who work on the mountain who are you know the most gifted athletes and human beings and they're courteous and kind and humble and yet you know the the record now is 23 summits of mount everest by the strongest sherpa out there and um so those are the, the invisible stories that I love trying to bring out to the forefront and, and say there's a lot more than just a big snowy peak that happens to have the highest patch of snow in the world.
1: I was reading in a, an Outside Magazine article, you know, and you were talking a little bit about your Challenge 21 project. And, yeah. and so storytelling, I think as well being good at it means that you impact a lot of people. And one of the things you said is, you know, is that part of your why is is making an impact. So it's not just about the selfless climb or the selfless achievement. It is really about, you know, can I use some of these talents to share and therefore make impact in the world? You know, I, we wake up every single day, come into the office or these days, you know, into working from home and are trying very hard to impact people in a way that maybe they haven't before or expose them to something that makes that disrupts their current behavior, to your point, fights invisibility for our clients and for our teams. What, talk a little bit about the power of story to impact the world and um, how you bring that to people in a way that, that isn't just about the narrative, but literally about changing behavior
2: yeah after that 2009 expedition that i mentioned about my daughter and and kind of forcing me to reprocess why i was doing these things because i think it had transitioned for me my climbing into into a paycheck procedure you know where i i did it because I needed to, you know, and my creativity was going down, everything. Uh, and I couldn't answer my daughter as to why it was going away. So, so that forced me to really say, all right, how, how do I keep what I've already built and, and repurpose it in a way that can have some positive impact, answer that question why, and still, you know, still keep me going forward. And, uh, and for me, that came with, all right, you know, Climbing is a very visible thing. It's, it's something that pulls people in, uh, be it Everest or the Ruins or Antarctica. It's, it's dramatic. It's dynamic. There's risk, and yet what I've figured is, all right, I can, I can use climbing as a vehicle to pull people in, and then say, you know what, this really isn't that important. Now that I've got your attention, look at this. This is far more important. Let's look down in the valleys at the people who are living down there. And tell some of their stories, and my wife uh, had been for a decade and a half working in the field of water and sanitation, so I got to know that story very well and and really was you know very focused on that on the very pressing need for uh, you know to get eight hundred million people around the world access to to safe water and and adequate sanitation, and so I started using climbing as as a vehicle to tell that story and really open people 's eyes to what we are so fortunate in the developed Western world to not have to think about that you know that is that next glass of water filled with somebody else's or our own feces or other diseases and issues and and that to me is has just been such a a wonderful way of of working on and telling stories and and making hopefully making the invisible visible to to one degree or another, and and selfishly giving me uh, an answer to that question why and and some uh, some reason for going away on crazy
1: expeditions to so sort of wrap it up, but in a future forward way. What's the next story you want to tell?
2: Gosh, the, you know I I always uh, again in that invisible side of things. I'm always looking for the stories that, that have been lost in the pages of history for whatever reason. And one that I'm really uh, fascinated by is the story of the CIA involvement in the Tibetan resistance in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s. And it's, uh, it actually connects... Tibet and Nepal, and actually right here in Colorado, uh, where they were trained in guerrilla warfare. And, uh, and some of the warriors are still alive in, in, uh, in Nepal. And so I'd love to uh, dig into a documentary to kind of tell that, that untold story of, um, of one of the world's highest covert wars that happened decades ago.
1: I just love the fact that, um, you know, the next story you tell isn't exactly what you would think as a climber and a guide and never, you know, you, what you're talking about is, is, is untold stories that can help others around you sort of see something that maybe they haven't seen before. And, um, you know, that just proves once again that, that, um, you, you are an inspiration. So I really appreciate this time and I appreciate the time you spent with the agency. Um, and I hope people listen to this, they they can learn a little bit about you, but a lot about themselves. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you, Michael, and thanks to everyone at the Martin Agency. It was it was really an honor. I, I don't say that lightly, and um, thank you, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Impact interviews. Interested in connecting with us? Our email is impact at martinagency.com. The music you heard is I Crushed the Mountainside by Space Bomb House Band. Check them out at spacebombrecords.com.